can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Good morning. I think our live stream's messed up, right? So we're not we're not we're not live. Internet issues. Turn to your Bible, Psalm 22. And we are really making our way through uh, our summer series in the Psalms. Uh, next week, very excited. Uh, we have our good friend and brother, Chris Jones, coming here to preach. Some of you know him, uh, some of you don't, but uh, you can be excited uh, about him. Uh, he will definitely bring a strong word. He's going to be preaching uh, Psalm 56. He's going to be preaching Psalm 56, and that kind of gives me a, a, a day off so we can get prepared for our VBS next week, and we'll talk a lot more uh, about that uh, later on, but I'm excited about that as well. Uh, so let's open up our Bible, Psalm 22, <clears throat> very well-known psalm, Psalm 22, <clears throat> verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, help, O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help this morning, and we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know, the Psalms are just so rich in emotion, and, and I feel like, you know, uh, you know, don't get caught up. Don't just think, you know, every week we're just, you know, digging ourselves into a hole looking at all this darkness. You know, I hope, hopefully you've been keeping up with the theme that uh, the Psalms have something to say to us in our pain. Um, you know, there is a reason why we see the Psalms on coffee mugs and, and, and on walls. It's why our best devotional time uh, can be in the Psalms. There is something about the poetry of the Psalms, the emotion of it that resonates with us. It, minor, it ministers to us in a way that sometimes walking through historical narrative uh, or other things uh, just don't. So my hope is this morning is that, you know, we would just not be informed by Psalm 22, but my hope is that we would be changed by Psalm 22. Um, you know, in our culture, uh, just like many cultures, you know, boys are, are taught uh, to be tough. That, that's what I was taught growing up. Be tough. Um, you know, don't cry. Don't show your emotion. Um, and, and, and so the Psalms, you know, they don't really like that. The, the, the Psalms don't really like that because, you know, here in central Kentucky, um, you know, we can kind of view a lack of emotion as like a badge of honor. You know, it's, it's something to be proud of. Like, you know, you're not going to see me shed a tear. You know, nobody wants to see a, a grown man cry. And, and we look at those uh, that seem to be ruled by their emotions because that's the other side of the spectrum. We see those that are ruled by their emotions. And, and you know, we're just grateful a lot of times that, that we're not like those people. But this morning, as we sit in this room together, there are some of you um, who your emotions sometimes feel like, you know, get the best of you. And the Psalms are going to come and say, hey, it's, it's good and it's right to feel. But uh, the Psalms are also going to say they can't own you. Your emotions, that they, they can't control you. And, and for those of you in this room who would say, Shh, you know, I, I just don't feel anything. You know, I'm just numb. I don't feel a thing. The Psalms will say, no, that, that, that's, that's not good either. Um, you are expected to have emotions. You are expected to, uh, like if we are being bent into feeling and showing and expressing some emotion, that both sides of the spectrum are being brought out under the authority uh, of Scripture. And the Psalms say that there can be health uh, in both of those. So I pray this morning that we will be stirred by Psalm 22 and not just informed by it. If you noticed as we were reading, man, there was just a ton of rawness 
in Psalm 22. There's grittiness in Psalm 22. Uh, if you pay attention to the words and the phrases, um, you know, it starts out really bad, but man, it ends so good and I love it. Um, you understand that, you know, David, though, if you read that psalm, it's coming from David, uh, King David. You can tell that he's not in a good place uh, as, that, as that psalm begins. If we look at verses 1 and 2, um, look at the questions that David is asking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. And then in verse 2, he says, I cry by day, but you do not answer. So he's basically saying, God, I feel like you have forsaken me. I, I cry and you do not answer. And I don't feel like you're really even close to saving me. And he's saying, God, what's going on? And, and I'm sure we've all been in that place. And that's, that's what's good about the Psalms. It's giving you permission to be in, in that place. Like, these are real questions. These are hard questions. Sometimes I think the church, you know, gets accused of tossing around soft questions and soft answers. But David isn't doing that here. He's asking legitimately hard and difficult questions. And the fact is, some of us probably have asked these types of questions as well. Some of you uh, may be in the process of asking those questions right now. And, and knowing that these are raw and they are gritty, one of the things I love about Scripture is that Scripture never gives us cheap answers. Uh, it gives us permission to ask these types of questions. It doesn't, it doesn't pull any punches. It shows the, the sin of those in Scripture. It shows us these hard questions where we can wrestle with and ask these things. Listen to some of the language that David um, uses to describe himself. He's asking these hard questions. Uh, we see that he's groaning, right? Now listen, um, if you had a rough weekend, it's likely that you aren't groaning. You know, like think about your week. You know, say it's been hard. Um, like I've had a, a different week. My, my wife's out of town. I got my boy. Uh, I'm, I'm not groaning. I'm complaining. Like when I came in this morning and I was like, man, I'm overwhelmed. You know, we got BBS. I got my son all week. I'm not groaning. I'm complaining. Groaning is where we are uh, beginning to be beyond our words, right? Where you, where you are wanting to get out of something, but there are no words to articulate what you are feeling. That's groaning, different than complaining. So, so you can imagine groaning and moaning, and he says, I cry by day and by night, and I find no rest. If you look down to verse 6, he describes himself. He says, I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Verse 7, he says, <clears throat> all who see me mock me. <clears throat> he says they wag their heads at him. And, and then it's in quotes in verse 8. Like this is what he thinks, this is what he says people are saying about him. Like he, he says people are looking at him and they're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let, let him deliver him. Right? Like, like, so like, you know, you may be going through a rough week or something, you're talking, and somebody be like, I thought you was a Christian. You know, you're supposed to be better than that. You're supposed to have it together better than that. That's what they're kind of doing to him here. If you go down to verse 12, he begins to, to set a scene. He says, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths. And what he's saying is it's almost like a mob scene where the crowd is, is coming all around him and he's got no strength left to fight. He has nothing left to give. He sees them coming. They are mocking him. They are ridiculing him. They are opening their mouths at him. They are talking crazy to him they want to devour him and he's just describing his status he's describing his state 
He's saying, you know, I'm pretty much done here, man. Like, look, look at all what's going on around me. I'm pretty much done. Uh, listen how he continues in verse 14. He says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Um, these are not the words of someone who has just had, you know, one bad day. Uh, th th this is something more than that, I think. He says, my strength is dried up. He says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And so David is painting this picture for us. It's, uh, it's this poetry of him laying before his enemies, curled up in a fetal position um, with barely the words to even speak. He's desperate. He's groaning and he's hurting. Like I said, this isn't a bad day. This is a bad season. Right, he, He's going through a bad season. He continues, uh, For dogs encompass me. Uh, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Verse 17, They stare and gloat over me. He's saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do. Psalm 22 paints the scene of a desperate set of circumstances. Like I said, not just a single day, but a season of despair. Have you ever felt that before? A season of struggle that has just moved beyond the ability to articulate into words, beyond the ability to push through. I hope people know that the Bible gives us this, you know, not pat answers, not soft answers, not soft questions. It deals, it, it deals with the grit. It deals with the rawness, um, but, you know, just beyond the ability to push through. And, and, and he's just done. He's crying. He's saying, God, what have you done? I feel like you are not listening to me at all. Now, now, some of us would read this and we would go, yeah, Psalm 22 is, is heavily marked up in my Bible. You know, I'm underlining, circling, uh, drawing lines. But others may go, you know, I've heard of stuff like this. I've heard people going through stuff like that. But that's just not really, that's not me. I'm not really going through that. I'm not controlled by my emotions. I'm not controlled by my feelings like this. I can power through intellectually. I can cope. But the fact is, all of us don't, don't do that. That because all of us, to some extent, uh, are controlled by our emotions. And many of you are saying, yeah, that's me. Some of you are saying, no, I don't think so. I'm not controlled by my emotions. But think of it like this. How many times do you hear people use the phrase, you know, I'm just not really feeling it? You know, you ever say that? I'm just not really feeling it. Well, you know, whether they're talking about a restaurant or a relationship. You know, Josiah and I last night, Jenna put a lot of food in the fridge for, for Josiah and me, but I want to go get, you know, something like Mexican or something last night. And, um, and, and, and but, I, but I was telling myself, but I'm not really feeling that. You know, I'm not really feeling that. I want something better than that. Um, but but, but, but that's, that's what they're saying is when they say I'm not really feeling that, they're saying, you know, I can't, really, I can't really articulate what I'm feeling, right? But my feelings are strong, and they are telling me uh, I don't want to be in this situation anymore, right? And, they, and that they don't feel the need to explain themselves, right? Uh, if I'm not feeling it, that should be enough for you. Or, or you would hear someone say, you know, I feel ugly today, or I feel fat today. Uh, and, then, and then people around them will say, man, you're not fat. You're not ugly, Right? And they will encourage them in some way. But what do you say when they say that to you? You say, but I still feel that way, though. 
You know, that's, that's, that's how I feel. In those moments, uh, truth, kindness, and, and, and words don't really do anything because how you feel seems to outweigh any truth or love that you are receiving. The fact is, uh, whether we have ever been David, dried up and on the ground before our enemies, or whether it's as simple as, you know, I just feel ugly. Uh, we've been in a situation where our emotions have felt stronger than what truth is, stronger than what people are telling you because you feel it so deeply. So Psalm 22 is a lament. It's someone crying out to God. It's David's lament as he says, God, here's what's going on and I am not okay. So I think the question I want us to ask as we begin this morning is this, why do we have laments in scripture at all? And we've been looking at it, but, but I don't know that we've actually <clears throat> delved into this question. Why do we have laments in Scripture at all? If we are supposed to be a people of joy, if we're supposed to be a people of hope, knowing that we don't mourn like those who, who don't have hope, um, and, all of the, and all of those things are true, that uh, they are, that, but, but why would Scripture contain laments uh, if all those things are true? And the first reason is this, not everyone in the room is doing okay this morning, Right? And for some of you, and I would say my live stream folks, but they're not here. Um, for some of you, you, you are going, yeah, that's me. But some of you came in limping this morning. Uh, you didn't physically limp in, but, but emotionally, you may have barely drug yourself in. Maybe you're in a place of literal despair and you are taking your last uh, Hail Mary shot. And you are thinking, you don't know what else to do. And, and here's the things. Here's the thing, we're able, most of us, to put on a smile, to, to, to put ourselves together, to, to sit, and we can pretend like we are okay, but the fact is that we are not. So we have to be okay with people that are not okay. The church has to be a place where people don't have to pretend, where it's safe for them to come and say, I am not doing okay, I'm not all right. I'm not fine. A place where they can be known and a place where they can be real. A place where they don't have to pretend. Now listen, that sounds all well and good, but the fact is, is even if we are willing for someone to say they are not okay, just be real, the honest truth is, is that once we have prayed for them, uh, once we have sat with them, once we have listened to their story, uh, we we kind of, a lot of times, we kind of just need for them to be okay after that, don't we? Because we don't really know what to do after that. We're like, you know, I, pay, I prayed my best prayer. I gave you the scripture I know. I gave you the shoulder to cry on. And, and now I kind of need you to get better pretty quick. So, so maybe if, if someone has gone through a public situ a situation, they've lost a loved one, depending on how close that relationship is, you know, we'll give them X amount of time. But it's like there's a stopwatch going on in our head, like, hey, I need you to be better. You know, and, and the fact is the church has to be a place where people sit next to us in our community groups on Sunday morning across the dinner table and, and not smile. And, and just not be okay, that we can resonate and just be with them. Maybe it's that we just uh, shut up for a little while and listen to them, um, that, that we're just present with them because pain and suffering uh, doesn't have a timetable. It's a process that we walk through. So one, we have laments because we need to be reminded of that, uh, that even if I'm doing okay, <clears throat> that not everyone else is. <clears throat> the second is, is that we live in a broken world. 
we can get into rhythms sometimes in life where, where everything is going well for us. Uh, you know, you've got that job you've always wanted. You've got that relationship you've always wanted. Things are going okay. And you can think all there is left to do now is just die and go to heaven, right? But then you have passages like Psalm 22, and that's not the case. We live in a broken world that is marred by sin and injustice and pain, and there is a lot of hurt, and there are a lot of victims surrounding us. Some of us might say, yeah, but, you know, that's not really me. And some of us need to realize that that is going on. I've been reading the book of Amos, uh, Old Testament prophet in, in my devotion time uh, recently. If, and if you haven't read it recently, um, just to kind of give you a little background, it is a pretty angry book. It's a pretty dark and heavy book because God is looking at his people and he is saying, I've called you, I've rescued you, I've made you mine, and your job was to reflect me. It was to show the world who I am and to point them to me. And so because I am just and I am righteous, you are supposed to, um, and this is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this from the uh, letter from a Birmingham jail. He put this um, writing to uh, white pastors in um, Alabama. He said, uh, you're supposed to let justice and righteousness flow throughout your culture and your society. That's what God says in Amos, and MLK kind of made that famous on a cultural level. Uh, but God is saying, you haven't done it. You've stepped on the backs and the necks of your fellow brothers and sisters. You've enslaved those, forgetting that you were once slaves in Egypt. You take bribes. Uh, you know, I was reading this week, he says, you hold down the poor. There is a lack of justice. Uh, they were living in a broken world. And that's what Amos just kind of depicts is that broken world that they're living in. Instead of being those who would say, hey, this is injustice. They were actually the ones committing the injustice. So God says, prepare to meet me. And that's not a coffee mug verse, right? Uh, prepare to meet your God. <clears throat> if, you take out, if you take that out of Amos, it sounds beautiful. <clears throat> but if you see it in Amos, you see that he is coming for us and it's not pretty. It's not good because he's not pleased with us. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that we need to be sympathetic because there are those that are suffering and are facing the tragedy and the injustice of the world. And that we have a role to play in that. We have a role uh, that we are supposed to be just and, and, and righteous as we reflect the character of God. We can't always do something about systemic injustices, but we can be a place of justice and righteousness in our own community and around those that we have been given influence and relationships with. That we can be a place where people see that there is hope, uh, that there is holiness, and there is a better way. And, and this doesn't have to be the final say. So we know that not everyone is okay. We need to be reminded that we live in a broken world that has been impacted by sin. But the third thing is that laments give us a permission to feel without guilt. Um, because many of us, based on the home you grew up in or based on the church that you grew up in, you weren't allowed to express a lot of emotion that wasn't joyous. And, and what the Psalms are doing is they're saying, hey, you can say that. You can feel that. You can do that. Uh, you're struggling. You can say that you're struggling. You're suffering. You can say that you're suffering. You can begin to feel what you are actually feeling without guilt. The Bible doesn't hide it. It allows us to take our questions to God. 
that we can lament and sit in it for a while. Because even if you are good as individuals at lamenting with folks who are suffering and struggling uh, as a corporate body, as a church, typically, uh, a lot of times, maybe not typically, but a lot of times we're not known for that. We want things wrapped up with a bow on it at the end of service. So even if it was a heavy message, <clears throat> or if it was a hard message, I can remember when we talked about you know marriage and divorce and we were going through Mark, you know, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, at the end of, uh, end of the sermon, you know, that we got to Jesus and, you know, we could quickly run away with that, you know, which is a good thing. Uh, but a lot of times uh, in, the, in those heavy and in those dark messages, in those moments, we don't just sit in it. Now, now listen, we live in the in-between right now. We have hope and we have joy and we have the cross and we know that our eternity is good and that the Lord is victorious. And so in no way are we looking to, you know, diminish that or stamp that down. But in the meantime, uh, until Jesus splits the sky for us, we live in a broken world where people are not okay. And so we have to find a way of saying that we can be joyous and, and hopeful for eternity and at the same time lament sin and lament struggle and lament suffering and sit with people who are in those places. So if we, if we, as we have been studying these psalms corporately, <clears throat> we have kind of let the heaviness of those psalms, I hope, just kind of sit over us um, every Sunday. And our, and our prayer has been that God would do something in us as we study these psalms, that we would feel the heaviness. <clears throat> and yes, we have the cross, and we need to feel this from a corporate sense. Both is true. We say that. But when the heaviness comes, it seems like a lot of times there's, there's tension there. For those of us in Christ, we need to realize uh, that many around us here in Lebanon and, and in Springfield, they're experiencing the darkness that we've been talking about with no hope in Christ right? Um, with no Jesus. They are experiencing this despair without hope, without Jesus. And that should make us feel a certain type of way. That should break our hearts for them, right? We are people who have a real hope and we are invited to lament with hope. The fourth reason is this, not just that everyone isn't okay, not just that we live in a broken world or that we are being given permission to feel, but, 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 that, but that Jesus himself lamented. Jesus lamented. As we read Psalm 22, did you hear the cross? Did you see the scene of the cross taking place? Do we think of, uh, of Matthew 27, Mark 15, John 19, as we think about these moments at the cross? Listen to verse 1 again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus on the cross asking God this. Most likely Jesus was quoting all of or at least a portion of Psalm 22 on the cross, knowing that this was David's psalm. But there are layers to it that was, that was also looking forward to the cross. That Jesus knew that Psalm 22 was his story and his life. We will see some of this scene here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Remember Jesus in the garden when he was crying out? He was asking God, is there another way? Is there another option? Remember he was sweating blood? asking if, the, if there was a way out, and then going to the cross, knowing that it was set before him. <clears throat> and he went with joy on our behalf, or, or, or for our benefit. 
Listen to verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Remember at the cross, they said, aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the, if you are who you say you are, Jesus, get yourself off the cross. Do you not see that in Psalm 22? Look at verse 8, uh, where, where there's quotes, people still talking to him, uh, mocking him. He trusts in the Lord, let, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Right? They are mocking David, and they are mocking Jesus. Verse 14, we can begin to picture him uh, actually on the cross, uh, where it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. We can see this scene taking place as Jesus is being crucified. It says, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Verse 17, I count all my bones. They uh, stare and gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Psalm 22 is a psalm given to us to give us permission to feel. But it's also a reminder that Jesus lamented, that he cried out asking God to work and to move. And this is his story at the cross, which means that we have a God who understands despair, who understands lament and struggle. Our God prayed these words, said these words. We have a God who gets it. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that we have a high priest in Jesus who sympathizes. When you are crying out saying, God, do you know what this feels like? He says, yes, I do. I do know. I do know what it feels like. And he has given us words that he has experienced, that he understands. Jesus entered fully into human suffering, taking on the wrath of God for us, for our benefits. So there are a couple things that we need to do here. <clears throat> One is this. What do we do with our emotions? Because you just said that the Psalms, you know, give us permission to feel. Um, but here is the flip side of that. We don't give our emotions permission to run wild, right? To run free. They don't get the final word. They don't get the final say. So we feel them. We are allowed to feel them, but we have to deal with them too. So how do we do that? How do we feel without being controlled by our emotions? And David actually gives us the answer here in Psalm 22. That we see him battling. Again, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In these first few verses, he asks these three difficult questions. <clears throat> he says, why are you so far from saving me? Uh, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not answering me? But look at verse 3. He says, yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Um, verse 4, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. All right, so he's thinking back to Egypt. He's thinking back to God having intervened in his people's lives over and over again. So in verses 1 and 2, he's saying, all right, God, this is how I feel. But in the rest of it, he's saying, but this is what is true. Right, he starts out, this is how I feel, but this is what is true. And then he begins to remind himself of who God is. And, and, and listen, <clears throat> that's where a lot of us wanted to stop. I feel bad, say a verse, I remember some truth, 
and now I'm good forever. But David shows us the reality of this. Look at verse 6. So he's just quoted for three verses uh, all, this true, all, all this truth and right things about God. And then he goes, but I'm a worm and not a man. I am scorned by mankind and I'm despised by the people. So what we see is a battle going on. A battle of David saying, here's what I feel, God, but here's what is true. But God, here's what I feel. Right? And look, it continues. Look at verse 9. Um, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust uh, you at my mother's breast. Uh, verse 10. Uh, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Uh, verse 11. Um, be not far from me. Uh, there, there's none to help me. And what we see is uh, this, this back and forth battle going on. Uh, in David's heart and in David's mind, he's going, I feel these things strongly and deeply, and here's what's true. And, and here's what we have to do as a church. We have to begin using truth to be these guardrails. They have to be like these bumpers, right? They need to, they need to allow us to feel, uh, but without allowing us to you know, run off the road and go into a ditch. That, that we can feel these hard and deep things, and yet we are consistently going back to the truth saying I can't go further because that's not who God is right so when my emotions are saying here's what God thinks about you it stopped with truth and when we say I just want to be I just want to be hard I don't really want to feel anything that we have a bumper saying no no you gotta feel you're expected to feel but truth begins to run as the guardrails to allow us to feel in a healthy fashion, to allow us to bring about healing and hope and peace. And we see David doing this. Listen, at the cross, those who loved Jesus, they were devastated, weren't they? Because they were seeing their teacher crushed. They were seeing their teacher mocked and humiliated, thinking, you know, this is not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be with us. You were, we were supposed to keep going. We don't understand what God is doing. You know, Jesus' buddies, his followers, they were saying, this is a loss. This is a major loss. And in the moment when it seemed like loss had happened, it, where, when it seemed like defeat had occurred, we know that it was actually death being defeated, right? It was actually death being defeated because Jesus was defeating sin and Satan and death on the cross and through his resurrection. You know, he would raise three days later confirming all of his promises where it looked like despair and it was. It was actually hope. And so as we look at Psalm 22, uh, it can feel really weighty. It can feel real heavy. And we look at verse 21 and we see the tone shift completely. <clears throat> We've heard this description of, of, of his mental state, of his body, but listen to verse 21. You have rescued me. Uh, this could also be read as, you have answered me. I saw that in another translation. Look, look at how he responds. Um, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. Verse 23, you fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. And, and, and so, and then on down to 24, just the same, the same concept. And so what we see is God answers. He intervenes. Then David realizes that, that he has been heard and God has not hidden his face from him. He is ministering to him. And David's whole tone shifts from woe is me to praise. From woe is me to worship. As, 
as he is saying these true and right things about God. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Uh, Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And he just begins to describe God's kingdom. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations. He's saying this just isn't for Israel. This is for the world. That that God is bringing us to him. Everybody shall worship before him. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And lastly, verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it, that God has won, is what he's saying. And so when we started this, it was, God, you have forsaken me. And it ends with, God, you have done it. And it ends with God rescuing us. And so despair doesn't get the final word. Jesus has won that victory. So listen, uh, here's the thing. In no regard is is Psalm 22 um, a discussion of your pain, your circumstances, or whatever you're dealing with right now. What it's doing is, is it's putting them in their proper place. It's just not talking about them. It's telling you how to deal with them. What it's doing is is it's putting them in their proper place. And it's saying, you may very well be in the first half of Psalm 22 right now, but that's not where it ends. You may feel like you are the one laid out in the dust, but that's not where it ends. For those who are in Christ, nothing separates us from him. And we are reminded that Jesus understands and that he laments and that he has felt it and that he is rescuing us. And there's... um, and there are a few things that we need. We need to know that, 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 that there are those right now uh, that the first 21 verses of Psalm 22, it's their story. And, and, and it's their story without hope. That's it. But for those of us in Christ who have trusted him, who have been changed by him, who love him, if that is currently your story or if that once was your story, it doesn't get the final say. And so if you're still in the midst of it right now, know that Jesus gets the final say, not your suffering, not your circumstances. He is working and he is moving for your good and for his glory. And listen, uh, there's no timeline on this. And and we don't get to compare our suffering with someone else's suffering. uh, But we can know that our suffering doesn't get the final say. That we are a people that mourn not like those without hope. That we can lament even as God is working in us. So here are a couple practical things real quickly and then we're going to wrap up. So it means that we need community. All right, We need community. We need a believing community. We need to be around a believing community. Um, Because you will be in circumstances, uh, whether it's a loss of a loved one, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's failing health, other circumstances, the sin of someone against you, where you're going to be tempted to not believe the truth, where you're going to be tempted to not want to go to the truth. And you are going to need people around you who can remind you gently and kindly, yet God is holy, yet God is good. And and that will just sit with you without a watch on, who will cry with you, who will lament with you, and will talk about the injustice and the brokenness of the world with you, and yet remind you that God is righteous and that God is just and that he is making all things new. 
And we can't do this alone. Uh, David was in despair alone. And the second is this. We need the Spirit ministering to us. And we need His Word. We need the Spirit giving us insight into His Word. You have to have something to battle with. If you were going to fight the emotions in your head, if you're going to fight these things going on in your heart and that turmoil, you have to have truth. And so we have to know the character of God and the promises that He has made to us because we we have an accuser who is the devil who likes to whisper lies to us. So we have to know when he is lying. We have to know when it's his voice and not the spirit's voice. And so we have to know that God has said. We have to know what God has said. We have to know he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But we have to know these things and we have to know God's character. And we have to find it in the word. We have to know his promises and his truth. And it's found in his words. And it's guided by the Spirit, revealing and reminding us in these moments when we're saying, God, I'm a worm. When we're saying, God, I'm not a man, I'm, I'm a bad guy. Um, yeah, you are. Um, but we got to fill in the blank with, but God, you are good and holy and righteous if you're still in it if you're walking with someone who is still in it just again be be reminded that that doesn't get the final say and that paul would say the apostle paul would say light and momentary are our circumstances compared to the surpassing weight of glory that is coming before us he doesn't say your circumstances are light and momentary that they could be lifelong they could last for the rest of your life. That could, that could be really weighty and heavy and that others groan under the weight you are carrying. But what he's saying is the glory that is coming for you in Christ in his eternal kingdom is so far surpassing that you could look back on the worst times and say light and momentary compared to what I have. Uh, that Jesus is working for your benefit and for your good and his glory and that nothing will separate. And so we have to be careful that if you are in the midst of that right now, that you don't presume upon the Lord. He has not promised how long it will last. And even Jesus, when he was at the cross asking God, why, why, what, what, what was there? There was silence. Now listen, sometimes we're going to have to sit with it for a while and it's not necessary it's not necessarily due to sin it's not that God is saying when you get your sin sorted out then I will intervene he's not saying that Jesus had silence without sin the Lord is using these things to shape us and to make us more like him and just briefly I'm going long today Jesus was forsaken so that you aren't so for those of you this morning who trust him who treasure him the first half of Psalm 22 would have been your story if it wasn't for Jesus. For those of you right now who don't know Jesus and you say, this is my story, it doesn't have to continue to be because Jesus took the wrath of God to satisfy God's demand for holiness and perfection and then invites us in as sons and daughters to trust him to know him to walk with him so that verse 26 the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him shall praise the lord may your hearts live forever jesus is our rescue 
and he was forsaken on our behalf. So, and so for those in Christ, you may be in verses 1 through 20 of Psalm 22, but verses 21 through 31, it's your story. That is your hope for eternity. He became the curse so you wouldn't have to. And he is good regardless of our circumstances. He is good regardless of our emotions this morning. So we're going to worship here. And it may be painful to you to say that he is good this morning. That may be hard. Your mouth may not actually be able to do it. But but what does your heart say? Uh, I pray that your heart and your mind would say what is true, that, that, that you are going to sing what is true, that, that God is with us, that, that God is for us, that God will never forsake us. That's the invitation this morning. Uh, if you don't know him, trust him. And if you do trust him, he is good. And I pray that we would just lean into that despite how we feel. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, today for another psalm, Psalm 22, and we just thank you for the the honesty uh, and the rawness and the grittiness in it uh, because uh, many of us have lived Psalm 22, and for those who maybe have not, uh, we know someone who has. Uh, We thank you for the first half of it uh, that helps us articulate how we feel, invites us to articulate how we feel. Uh, But we really thank you for uh, the last half of it, which reminds us that God has done it all. So I pray that we would know that in our minds and in our hearts this morning. Uh, And as we take the Lord's Supper, we take it knowing uh, that Jesus has been victorious over sin, Satan, and death. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.